Father, we give you all the praise. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you. We give you all the glory. We adore you. Liba Kuti Amanda Hesumba. We pray that you speak to our hearts today in the name of Jesus. We pray that we live here blessed today in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Yeah, welcome back. I'm really, really sorry that last week you tuned in and you could not listen to the broadcast. We had technical issues and that was why I said we're going to have it again on Sunday. But then we couldn't still have it. I'm very, very sorry about that. And that is the reason why we are taking the teaching again this week so that will not just miss out of it yes so we already know the topic which is the life of christ my life so we're going to be talking about what the life of christ is and how her life is the life of christ so the last teaching we talked about grace not an excuse for sin so we're able to establish how we receive grace why we receive grace and how to utilize grace and one most important thing that I feel everybody should take, should have taken home is that the grace of God that you have received is not for you to sin. It's an enablement for you to live like God. It's an enablement for you to live the life of Jesus. So it is a gift. You didn't work for it. It's a gift that you received so that as Jesus is, so you can be also on earth. So all that Christ came to do, the love of the Father is showed towards us in that while we're yet sinner, Christ came to die for us so that we can now live the life of God. So now that life of Christ is what we want to talk about today. And our text is Colossians 3 from verse 1 to 3. So if you are with your Bibles, I want you to open with me to Colossians 3, 1 to 3. Yeah, so it says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God, okay, Colossians 3, sorry, I was reading Colossians 1, I was even wondering here. So, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of Think about the things of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Yes, so, of course, we know that Paul was one that wrote the book of Colossians. He wrote it to the church, to the saints. Yeah, that's one of the things that we should know, that when we are studying Bible, we should not just study like that let us study also in context let us know who is writing the letter to whom is he writing to whom is he addressing so he was addressing the believers at colossians and he was telling them that now that you have been raised with christ you yeah now that you have received the grace of god now that you have received the gift of salvation set your sight on the realities of heaven like no now all you now need to do is set your sight on the realities of heaven that is your real life right where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right and think about the things of heaven or the things of earth. For you died to this life and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, 
Paul was saying that now that you have received the gift of salvation, you have died to this life and your life is now eating with Christ in God. Yeah, so what is life? Like, what does it mean to have life? What's life? What's the definition of life? What does it mean to live the life of Christ? How can I live the life of Christ? These are the questions that today's teaching is going to answer. What life is, what it means to live the life of Christ, and how you can, as an individual, can live the life of Christ, right? So, you know, when you newly got saved, or when you newly believed God, received the gift of salvation, anytime something happens, okay, let's say you were offended or wronged, or you might want or someone just did something very annoying to you you know there is this thing of you wanting to first react like you wanting to you know react flare up and all but then you just pause and you utter statements like ah thank god you didn't meet the former me or thank god it's the new me that you know now it's like you're just like ah Tanipe Florence to tell any apologies to non Yoruba speakers, but Tanipe Florence to tell any let's say it was the former me. I trust what I, what I would have done. And then at that point, you might even want to regret that you didn't flare up because you feel like cheated, you were cheated. Like, really, at that point, there are times that th- things happen, like people take you for granted and stuff. And you just wish that you could actually react, you could actually flare up like the former you would do, right? Or when people complain about things that they've noticed about you and and they feel like you should change or you should work on. Or maybe like people often say things like, okay, maybe you are proud. Or people often, maybe not even negative things. Maybe people just say things like you are too timid, you are too shy. Why not take responsibility? Why not do this? And, you know, the next thing you just tell them is that that's just who I am, really. So there's this way we feel like, we know ourselves already like we know who we are yeah we always feel like we know ourselves like we know who we are and whatever anybody is saying doesn't really matter although this always come from the angle of self-esteem and all of that so is it that you have your self-esteem is really high or is quite low for you to have notions like that but then that's not even where we are going to so my own question now is that is that really who you are like okay the you you feel you are like the you you think you know is that really who you are right have you discovered the real you yeah so when people tell me some things about myself now of course i know that it's because i have changed i have worked towards those things i have improved i've taking conscious efforts to become a better person right so when people commend me that okay i remember sending a video to a friend and was like wow that he does not believe that he has as much confidence like this before the camera at that point i was just laughing because i remember when i started youtube and how it was so difficult for me to face the camera because i wasn't used to facing the camera even talking to people people feel like i'm a very good speaker yes which is correct but then i really look into people's face and people don't notice this because i don't make it obvious so it affected me when i started out with youtube that i can't look into people's eyes right so but then when you saw that video because over time i have gained mastery like i've gotten better at it so when you saw the video like wow like this is so like this is so nice like that he, he, he likes my confidence my everything and i was just laughing like well 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 well, well. so imagine i told myself then that when i could not face the camera imagine i told myself that that is who i am would i have gotten to the stage i am now would i have gotten the compliment i got from him now yeah so that's just like a um a similar scenario to 
um, what we are talking about now. So Colossians 3, 3 says that what you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that means the only way to know you is to know Christ, right? So the you that you know, if that you is not in Christ, you have not known you yet. So the only way you can find out who you are is to find out who you are in Christ. Is to first even know Christ, then to now know your place in Christ. So if you have always been saying, that is who I am, that is who I am, go and check it again. Go and think about it. Is that really who you are? Yeah, so what is life? Yeah, what is that? We're talking about life, 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 life. What is life? So, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines life as a principle or force that is considered to underlie the distinctive quality of animate beings. Now, everything is just all grammar. Yeah, what it means that, okay, what Merriam-Webster is saying is that life is the future, the character that describes a living thing. So, the character that describes a living thing, what makes a living thing living is life right but however this is not even our focus for today it is not we're not defining life in the physical context but we want to define life in the spiritual context right so we want to know what the bible says about life we want to know what jesus says about life that is our focus for today we're not trying to talk about the living thing kind of life no but what god says about life so spiritually there is a difference between life and existence yes yeah, so so the truth is that so many people are existing right so many people are living things but they do not have life to be a living thing is to you know have have a musical have breath to be able to breathe in and breathe out and all of those things, respiration and stuff. So you know your normal, your normal Mr. Niger did from primary school, characteristics of living things, you have movement, um, reproduction, nutrition, irritability, respiration, and death, right? Yeah, so those are the characteristics of living things, right? So there are so many people that are living like they... They do stuff, they move around, they eat and all, but then they are not living. Like, they don't have life. They are just existing. Alright, so how do I know all of these things? How do I know that it is possible for you to be existing and not living? Let's check the book of John chapter 14 verse 6. So open your Bibles with me to the book of John. John is after Luke. Yeah, John 14 verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From me, you would know from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Praise God. Praise God. So the point here is that Jesus said that was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it means that to have life is to have Jesus. To know life is to know Jesus. So if you do not have Jesus, you do not have life. You are just existing. Yeah, so irrespective of your fame, irrespective of your status in the community, irrespective of your moral standards, irrespective of the fact that, okay, you are a philanthropist, people know you, you are well known, and all of those things. If you do not 
have life if you do not have jesus if you do not have an encounter with jesus that means if you are not saved you are just existing but do not have life right so that's just the simple truth although this truth looks so bitter but then that's just the simple thing no matter what you do you cannot even if you are giving even if whatever whatever you're doing if you don't have jesus if you don't have life if you don't believe in the son of god if you don't believe that he came to die, he was buried and he rose for your sake, right? You do not have life. You are just existing. So if you have not believed this truth, this is the time for you to believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth in form of man to die for our sins because sin brought about separation between God and man. So he came to restore us back. So by believing in this truth, you have life you begin to live the life of god right so now you ask the question that who is jesus because we are saying if you don't know jesus you don't know life you don't have life who is jesus jesus is the begotten of the father that was sent to us to make us sons so jesus was the only begotten right so before salvation jesus was the only son of god he was the only one in that position you should always know that every individual on earth has a position in God. So Jesus was the only one that was in the position of sonship with God. But he came to make us sons. As I was saying that if you have not believed in the truth, you are not a son yet. Like you do not even have a position in God. You are just there. So he's our mediator, he's our redeemer and advocate. So let's read the book of first John 2 1. Let's open our Bible to the book of First John. First John. You're my Jesus, you're my Jesus, you're my Jesus, you're my Jesus, you're my Jesus. First John 2 1. So it says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So Jesus atones for our sins. Jesus is our advocate. You know the role of an advocate now, the role of a lawyer. An advocate is a lawyer, someone who pleads the case of another person or a particular set of people. So what Christ does is that he pleads our case. Like, So right. So when, Jesus, when God sees us, like someone that believes in Christ, right? when he sees us, what he sees is Jesus. He sees the blood. He sees the atonement. He sees the sacrifice. right? So that's what makes us sons. Jesus brought us into the same position that he is with the Father. So what is the personality of Jesus? Jesus is God who was manifested on earth as man, right? So Jesus is God, like he's God, he's God. And that's why you notice, if you notice when you are studying the Bible, there are places where there, you see Lord with the capital letter L, that's Jesus. So when the Bible was saying in the book of Psalm 110, verses 1, I think verses 3 or so, that, okay, verses 1 says that, but the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemy thy footstool, right? So he was talking about Jesus. David was giving a prophecy of how that he saw the throne of God and God was talking to Jesus. So the Lord talking to the Lord. 
So Jesus is also God. So God was talking to the Lord, which is Jesus, that sits at my right side until I make that enemy your first. So you have to even understand that that right side was not literally right side. He was talking about the position of Christ. And that's why the Bible was telling us in the book of Colossians that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, in the right hand of God. So that's the place of authority, right? So that's not even where we are going to. I just wanted us to see that Jesus is God. However, he was manifested on earth as man, like as human beings. So he came to earth literally like human, and people saw him, people touched him, people felt him. Like, of course, the woman with the issue of blood, she touched Jesus, and uh, her blood dried. And you know, at that point, Jesus knew virtues had left him. So he came to earth as flesh also. So that we do not have any excuse not to live the righteous life. So he came to us to show us that even in this earth, you can live a righteous life. So let's read the book of John 1, 14. So he said, so the word, capital letter W now, W hard it. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen the glory, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So now, the word here is Jesus. It says the word became human. King James Version puts it as the word became flesh and it dwelleth among men. So Jesus became flesh, Jesus became human, and he dwelled among men. So he was born of Mary by the Spirit. Yes, yeah, so the story of Jesus is birth and all. Jesus was born of Mary, yeah. The Holy Spirit, um, the angel appeared to Mary, ministered to her that she was going to be conceived of the Holy Ghost. Even though she was a virgin, she was going to be conceived of the Holy Ghost and she was going to give birth to the Messiah. So Jesus was not born of the normal sexual intercourse, and that was why he could die for our sins, right? So if by birth, Jesus was a product of sexual intercourse. Then there will be no, there will not be um, our salvation story will not be complete because he couldn't have had the power to die for us. Because the only person that could die for us was anybody that wasn't born of sexual intercourse, right? Because everybody became sinners by the virtue of the fact that they were born by sexual intercourse. So you were a sinner before you started sinning. It wasn't like you now started sinning before you became a sinner. No, you were a sinner from your mother's womb because you inherited sin from your forefather, Adam. So Jesus too would have inherited that sin. Let's say he wasn't born of the Spirit. Yes, so he was born of the Spirit so that we can also be born of the Spirit. He he died so that we can also, by believing, be born of the Spirit. And as I was telling um, um, Nicodemus, I came to ask him question that except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again. So he was saying that he wasn't talking about going into your mother's womb and coming out again. But he was talking about being born of the spirit. So Jesus bore all our sins, our weaknesses, so that we can now be like him. Let's open to the book of John chapter 1 verses 12. John 1 12. 
John 1.12. So it says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So Jesus is saying here that to as many that believe him, he has given them power to become children of God. So, now, not a physical birth, now, but a spiritual birth that is being born of the Spirit. Let's open to Colossians 1.19. Colossians 1.19, book of Colossians. Colossians 1.19, okay, it says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So this is what Jesus did for us. He died for us so that we can stand before God without a single fault. We can be holy and blameless. So Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel that is God with us. So when we are saying God is with us, we know that the presence of God. You know, the Bible says that what, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. Right? So the reason why God is there is because he is with us, like he is in us. That is why he is there in our gatherings. So it means that even when you are not gathered in the church, in your normal building church, he is with you right there. And that is the reason why you can pray anywhere, anytime, and anyway, in the name of Jesus. So he was on earth physically, but now in us. Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 John 3.23. 1 John 3.23. Jesus, Son of God, worthy is your name. So verse 23, it says, And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. 24. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. So Jesus here is telling us categorically that, or John here is writing to us that the way that we know that God is with us is because of the spirit that is in us. So if we read 1 John 4, 2, from verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. 13. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. So the proof that God is in us is a spirit that is in us. Now, what does it mean to live the life of Christ? This means being Christ's life, being Christ-like rather, that is being a Christian. So when we consider the word Christian now this word has been so so abused in our day in our 
um day-to-day activities like you hear so many people being called christians because maybe because they were born into a christian home their parents are pastors they just need to be identified with a particular religion right so they just choose that okay christianity is soft and sweet and easier let me just identify myself with these people i tell you so many christians just so many people just claim to be christians today because they see it as a collective name for anyone who goes to church or was born into a family that goes to church some even decide to be called christians because they are to choose a religion while registering for an examination or vying for a leadership position yeah so so many people choose to be called that name because they just need to be identified with a a religion maybe they want to vie for a position in the community or they want to take a professional exam or they want to you know register for their national id card or their international passport or anything any means of identity you know your religion is always needed as a means of identity or they are um, you know doing their registration admission registration in school and all of that so they just need to be identified with a religion so they just write christianity or they are asked on the public tv that what religion do you practice because they don't just want to say ah, i mean i don't practice any religion they just say christianity right so now christianity is not a religion it is not a chieftaincy title it is a way of life so beyond the old religion and um, whatever covering and everything beyond what you want to use christianity to get you know, people are even being political about calling themselves Christians. Like it's it's it it has become a politics kind of thing because people just call themselves Christians to even deceive people. Of course, they can't deceive God to deceive people. Christianity is not a religion. It is not a chieftaincy title. It is not a means of identification. It is a way of life. So when the disciples or when the believers were called Christians in Antioch, which was the first account of where they were called Christians, they were not called Christians because they were trying to coin um, a religion or they were trying to coin an ideology. No, it was because the people in that area noticed their way of life, noticed everything they were doing. And the only thing they could say was that these people are living like Christ and they started calling them Christians. So the word Christian is Christ-like. Is Christ-like. So it means that you are being identified with Christ. Apart from the fact that you are saved now, you are now taking conscious effort to live out that salvation from within. So being a Christian is from inside out and not from outside in. So you cannot start to become a Christian by trying to be a Christian. No, you have to first know Christ. Then by knowing Christ, you allow Christ to form you to becoming like him. So the will of the Father is that we become living epistles. Yes, so the will of the Father is that we are walking, we are walking or living like Christ. So when people see you, what comes to mind is that you are like Christ. So I remember, I remember my days in, um, in the university, how that I, I had... I was in Bible study subgroup, 
unit in my fellowship and there was a testimony that a, uh, a member of the unit was sharing with us and it was out that a friend which was also a member of the unit who led her to christ and you know brought her to the fellowship and everything how that when she she just started knowing god she just started studying her scripture anything anytime she studied her scripture and she got any truth and anything about the life of jesus she could relate it to him because she would just be like wow this is how this guy lives his life this is how this guy loves this is what this guy this is just this guy so it meant that he had allowed himself to be formed by the word of god so he, it was just too obvious that he had been with Christ or is with Christ because he is gradually living the life of Christ daily without being under pressure, without being like, it's not like anybody's looking out for him or anybody's checking out on him. No, but because he is just allowing God to, you know, to build him, to form him, to transform him. So to live the life of Christ is to be like him on earth. So if it was impossible to live like Christ, God wouldn't have commanded us to do so. So if it is something that is impossible or far-fetched or something that is not, you know, logical. Yeah, it's not logical actually. But if it is something that is not achievable, God will not ask us to do it, yeah? So the Bible makes us understand that God will not um, give to us something we cannot undo. So how then do we now live this life of Christ? The simple way, the only way, the easiest way to live the life of Christ is by the Spirit. Wherever you are, just say, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. So the Bible says that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the only way, the only way, the only true way to live like Christ is to live by the Spirit. Let's open our Bible to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Or rather, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Let's read that first. Galatians 2 20. So it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So Paul was talking here that we have been crucified with Christ. We now have the life of God. We now have the Spirit of God. So the Bible makes us to understand that the Spirit of God now dwells in us. Now the Spirit of God that is in us is access to God. Is the one that enables fellowship. Is the one that enables us to communicate with God. So if there is no spirit, there is no fellowship. If there is no spirit, there is no um, access. If there is no spirit, there is no communion. So the spirit of God is the one that gives us access. Is the one that gives us strength to commune with him. How do we know that the spirit of God lives in us? We, are, we already read in the book of 1 John chapter 4 verse 13 the other time that the spirit of god is the proof that god lives in us however we'll still see again from the bible bible says i will not leave you comfortless but i will send to you the holy spirit that will guide you on to all things it will teach you about me that's the book of john 
Let's open our Bibles. Let's open our Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 16. From verse 5. It says, But now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I have told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin in that he refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Right? So, God, Jesus was teaching here that righteousness will now be available because he is going to the Father. That means he is dying, he's been, he's, he will ascend to the Father. That is when righteousness will now come. So, the Spirit of God is the Spirit that Jesus gives to us. Right? So, the Spirit of God is the promise of the Father to anyone who receives the Son. So once you receive the Son, once you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son, you receive the Spirit of God. Let's open to Ephesians 1 verse 13. Ephesians 1 13. Now it says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. Can you just say that? I have the Spirit of God. Say it to yourself. I have the Spirit of God. So, the Bible makes us understand that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise the day that we believed Christ. So the Holy Spirit of God is our identity as a believer. He is the Spirit of Jesus sent to guide us and lead us unto all truth. So if you don't even have the Spirit of God, you are not even identified with Christ. So you don't even let us even deceive ourselves. The only way to know that you are not an unbeliever is that at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in dwelling of you. You did not work for him. You did not fast or pray to receive him. Mm -mm. You don't do anything to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in dwelling all by himself. So let's read the book of Romans 8 from verse 6. It says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it, it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. 
The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Praise God. So Paul kept on emphasizing here by the Spirit of God that the Spirit of God is indwelling of you. Like once you receive salvation, once you just believe that Jesus, I believe that you came to die, you were buried, you rose so that I can have life. You rose so that my sins can be forgiven. You have received the Spirit of God. At that point, at that point, it comes indwelling. It comes indwelling. And that's the difference between we and the prophets of old. The prophets of old, what they had, because there was no salvation, there was no complete fullness of salvation. Christ had not come to earth. Christ had not yet been crucified. Christ had not yet been risen. So they didn't even have the complete package, right? So, the Spirit of God was not indwelling of them. The Spirit of God will just come upon them and will leave them, will just possess them and it will leave them. And that is why you see that somebody that is prophesying today, the next time, the next day you see him, is probably fornicating or doing one nonsense. Because the Spirit of God was not indwelling with them, that is why even Solomon, with all the wisdom that he had, he was still foolish enough to have intercourse or to marry women from from you know from women that were worshiping idols women that were not of god we were not women that were not children of god because the spirit was not in him the spirit was not guiding him so jesus explained that his spirit will teach us unto all truth that's the book of john let's go back to that book of john let's go and read again what jesus was saying there john chapter 16 from verses 12 so he says, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you, by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the father is mine. This is why I said, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Praise God. So Jesus was telling disciples that there are so many things I want to tell you now. However, you cannot take it in because you do not have the spirit of God. So the disciples, they were not wise. They were not even saved all this time that Jesus was telling them all these things. Because Jesus himself was not yet glorified. So he said, there are so many things I want to tell you, but I can't teach you now because... Your understanding cannot even carry it. However, when the spirit of truth comes. Now remember that in the book of John chapter 14 verses. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. The way, the truth and the life. And here in John 16 verse um, 12. He's saying that what, when the spirit of truth comes. So the spirit of truth can be regarded as the spirit of Jesus. Because Jesus is the truth, the way and the life. And he says when the spirit of truth comes. And that is why you have to believe that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are one. Because they work as one. They function as one. So Jesus told them that if I don't leave this earth physically and the spirits come, you will not understand so many things. Your eyes will not be opened. And that is why even when Jesus was alive, that Jesus was telling Peter that you will deny me three times. He was arguing. He didn't know that he could deny Jesus. And the reason why he denied Jesus was because there was no spirit of God in him. There was no enablement. There was no supernatural enablement. 
This same Peter that denied Jesus three times after salvation, after the ascension of Jesus, after Jesus um, ascended and he appeared unto them and he breathed on them the Holy Ghost. This same Peter could now preach and 3,000 were saved on the spot. It was in John 20 that Jesus appeared to them now. Let's read John 20 from verse 19. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. So that was to prove to them that, okay, oh, it was Jesus that was crucified. Oh, so people will not think that he's another person. They were filled with joy. Then they, then they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. So I am sending them. So that was even the first time that Jesus was going to give you, give them the um the commission, like sending forth and all. And what did he send them forth with? He said, Then 22, then he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. So for some of us that feel like the apostles received the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, no, or in Acts 2, no. They received the Holy Spirit in John. In the book of John chapter 20, when Jesus ascended unto them, when Jesus resurrected and he ascended. So the Spirit of God is what conforms you to the life of God, is what allows you to live the life of Christ. So can you now see the link now? The Spirit of God is in you. He guides you, he teaches you, but you need to consciously engage in. See, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. The reason why there was no manifestation of the Spirit in the believers, um, in the apostles, until Acts 2 was because it was until Acts 2 before they engaged the Holy Spirit. Look at it now. John 20 says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. They already received the Holy Spirit. But in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, what looked like flames of fire, flames or tongues of fire, upon, up, appeared and settled on each of them. And every one present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So, what happened in Acts was because they engaged the Holy Spirit. They were there with the mindset of, no, we want to see the manifestation of God. We want to experience God. We want to touch God. We want to feel God. And that's what happens to us, to believers. The reason why it looks like it is where you go for re re um, revivals or retreats or programs or meetings or gatherings. That is when you feel the power. It's because it is that time that you engage the Spirit of God. So if you do not engage the Spirit of God, He is not going to force Himself on you. He's not going to push you. Although He is there, always talking to you, always trying to communicate with you. But if you do not engage Him, if you are not open to receive, He's just going to lie there. He's not going to say anything. He's not going to push you. He's not going to stare you. He's not going to do anything. He's just going to be there. So you have to engage the Spirit of God. And this is the emphasis of Paul in all of his epistles. Making use of the Spirit of God, engaging the Spirit of God, living the life of the Spirit, living the life of the Spirit. You know, he was saying in Galatians 2.20 that God, I have been crucified with Christ, never the lies. I live, nevertheless, not, um, he said, nevertheless, I live, um, yet not I, but the Spirit of God lives in me. 
And so he was still admonishing the Romans in the book of Romans 12. Let's open our Bible to the book of Romans 12. That is where you see that if you do not engage the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will not come to manifestation through you. Lie, lie. Until you engage him. Let's open to the book of Romans 12. Romans 12 from verse 1. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and only, let them be a living and only sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Right? So, Paul was teaching them the way to worship God. The way, now when we are talking about worship, now we are not talking about songs. No, we are not talking about songs. In fact, let's go to the book of John. John chapter 4, where Jesus met with the Samaritan woman. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. So, let's read from verse verses 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Why we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Why will Jews know all about him? For the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God the Spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the Samaritan woman was asking Jesus that, okay, why is it that the Jew believe that? The only place of worship is Jerusalem. Why they? They believe that is Mount Gerizim. Jesus was now telling her that, okay, very soon, no, the concept of worship is changing, such that worship is not even as a result of where. It's, a, it's now as a result of the life. It, is now, it now becomes the life. Right? So it says, those that worship, worship in spirit and in truth. Who is spirit? Jesus is spirit. God is spirit. Who is truth? Jesus is the truth. It says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So, God seeks people that worship him in spirit and in truth. God seeks people that worship in the name of Jesus. People that worship by the spirit in the name of Jesus. So that is true worship. That is true worship. So when Paul was talking about offering your body as a living sacrifice, which is your true worship, he's talking about living your life by the spirit. Living the life of Jesus. So verse, verse um, verses 2 now says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So it says that what? Don't copy the way of this world. King James put it that do not be conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind so it is important for you to know that before salvation you were a living soul and that's what like you were existing you didn't have life but you were existing you were a living soul. you had the breath but you were not a quickening spirit it's after salvation that you receive the spirit of god the nature of god 
However, your mind, your soul doesn't automatically change at salvation. It is your spirit that becomes perfect. Your mind doesn't change. So there were things that used to feed your mind with. All those things are still there. So you have to now consciously not conform your mind to those things. You have to now consciously allow the spirit to change your mind, change your soul to become like Christ. And that is why you have to now consciously engage the Spirit of God. Now, how do you engage the Spirit of God? Number one is by prayer. Of course, pray in the Spirit. Let's open to Jude, the book of Jude 20. Of course, I, we should know that Jude has just one chapter. And we are reading verse 20. Let's read from verse 17. It says, But to you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. They told you that in the last times there will be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. So Jude was saying here that don't, don't, don't be like those people that are following their natural instinct. They, they don't have God's spirit in them. They are unbelievers. Don't be like them. You, you have the spirit of God in you. So do the right thing. And what is that right thing? But you, dear friends, must build yourself, must build each other up, your most holy faith, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you, you must not follow ungodly desires. You must not conform to this world. But you must build yourself on your faith. By what? Praying in the Spirit. So to pray in the Spirit is to pray in accordance with God's will. Paul makes us understand in the book of 1 Corinthians 14, he says that what when I pray in the Spirit, my understanding is unfruitful because I pray and I speak mysteries unto God. So praying in the Spirit is direct access to God. It means that what? So it says that um, in verse 2, it says 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2. It says, for if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you, you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. So praying in the Spirit can also be praying in tongues. You are speaking to God directly. The devil doesn't understand. He cannot even interrupt. Like the Bible says in the book of Romans 8, 26, it says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit... Make it in that he helps our infirmities by making intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Let's read from the Bible, Romans 8:26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So, when you pray in the Spirit, you pray exactly the will of God. So, it's not possible that you pray amidst. And that way, you concentrate your mind with God. Like your mind is engaged with the Father. Prayer is communication. That is the way I'm talking and someone is responding. You are either nodding your head in agreement or writing something down. You are responding. Now, Prayer is such that you talk to God and he responds back to you. He is not just nodding his head. He is saying something. God is always talking to his children. God is what? Always talking to his children. Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 from verse... 1 John 5. 1 John 5. From verse 14. 
and it says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Remember I said, when you pray in the spirit, you pray in accordance with his will. So it is not possible for you to pray in spirit and you are not praying in accordance with what pleases him. So we can as well say that we are confident that he hears us whenever we pray in the spirit. And since we know that he hears us, when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. So King James says that since we know that we, he hears us, he also answers us. The answer to your prayers is not just manifestation. Like what you see. Sometimes when you feel like God is not answering your prayers, maybe you are praying for something that you are not seeing. God is telling you what to do to get that thing. But because you have configured your mind that you must see the manifestation, that is why it feels like you are not getting answers. So when you pray, pay attention to listen to God. God is talks to us through our spirit through your mind so when you pray in the spirit when you pray in tongues just pay attention he's going to drop something he's going to tell you something he's going to engage you he's going to tell you so the same way that when you are now going through stuff when you're going through challenges you now want god to help you not to be able to conform to this world you talk to god about whatever you are facing whatever you are struggling with whether it is masturbation whether it is pride whether it is envy whether it is fornication whatever it is you talk to god and he tells you how to overcome it it teaches you every day how to overcome it now the second way in which you can engage the spirit of god is by the word of god so god doesn't just speak to us through our spirit he also speaks to us by the word of god in fact one of the ways in which you can identify the voice of god is when you have studied god's word so learn God's word. Give yourself to study. Give yourself to study. Don't just be a member of the family and you don't know about the family. Right? So you are in your family. You don't know about your family. You don't even know what your daddy likes. You don't even know your mother. You don't even know anything. And are you a member of that family at all? Or you claim to be living in um in Lagos. And you don't even know that Ikeja is the capital of Lagos. Are you even a Lagosian at all? Like, uh-uh, oh, wrong, man. That's the same way that if you are a member of God's kingdom, you must know about the kingdom. Yeah, so the book of Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. So King James puts it as, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So study. The emphasis is what? Study. Dividing the word of truth, which is Jesus. Study to know Jesus. Study to know the Father. Study to know God. So many of us have an idea of who God is, but we do not know God because we have not even worked with him. We have not studied. We have not engaged. We have not prayed. Study. The Bible is the believer's life manual and it contains information on how to live a well-pleasing life. So, the Bible contains details on how to live a well-pleasing life, on how to live your life perfectly. The Bible has every information. So, let's read the book of 2 Timothy 3.16. Chapter 3, verse 16. It says that what all scripture is inspired by god and it's useful to teach us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right god uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work 
So the Bible is inspired by God. Forget that it was written by Paul, John, and all of these people. These people were inspired by God. See, if you are reading the book of Revelation, the Bible shows us there that how John was led into, into the wilderness and the hand of God was upon him like he saw the throne of God. So these people were inspired by God. You can check Revelations 1 for that. These people were inspired by God. They did not just write from their own brain or from their own memories. No, they were inspired by God and the breath of God is on this holy book. So all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us. So, you know, Jesus told us that when the spirit of truth comes, he will teach you everything about me. So the Bible has the spirit, like when we study the Bible, we study by the spirit of God because we know that the spirit of God is now inside us so that we can learn about God. So he teaches us what is true. He makes us realize what is wrong. So when you are, when you are still contemplating, is this thing right? Is this thing wrong? Go to the Bible. What does the Bible say about it? That is how you find out what is wrong, what is right, what is perfect, what is pleasing what is good what is average what is normal what doesn't matter what matters go to the bible everything is in the bible and to and to realize what is wrong in our life so it doesn't just teach you that this thing is wrong it now shows you the wrong things in your life the things that you have not been doing the right way right so then it corrects it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right so it now corrects you when you are wrong they now teaches you to now do the right thing so that you can be equipped and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, the Bible is perfect and complete and will lead you to all righteousness because it talks about Jesus. So, the Bible cannot lead you astray. Study the Bible by the Spirit of God and you will never be astray. But if you are trying to read the Bible like a storybook or like one manual or one thing like that, oh, you have missed it in life. But when you are studying by the Spirit of God, you are studying engaging the spirit which is in you because the spirit is in you engaging the spirit of god allowing the spirit interpret to you then you will never miss it because it talks about jesus and the spirit of god is the spirit of jesus so both the old and the new testament talks about jesus although people have issues with studying maybe the old or the new testament and this is the reason why now for the old testament because of the stories and all of those things they are not really really applicable to us in these days war and all of these things so it might not interest you but then if you are just a new convert and you are you want to study the scripture i would advise that you start with the epistles so you can start from the book of acts and don't just study the bible haphazardly like you are studying june jude today tomorrow you go to um what's it called now john next tomorrow you are in genesis no study as a new convert you can start with the book of acts so you start with Acts chapter one right because the bible is written in chapters so it's, it's important that you follow through like that you read Acts chapter one once you are done you go to chapter two chapter three like that like that so when you understand the concept of jesus from the new testament you can be able to interpret the prophecies of the old testament so the old testament is very very prophetic it's a patriarchal book so it talks about how that these people saw into what was going to happen. These people knew that Jesus was coming. They had the understanding. They knew salvation. They believed salvation. Although it was not yet full, um, it was not yet manifested, but they believed salvation. They knew about Jesus. So many things that happened in the scripture symbolized Jesus, symbolized his death, symbolized his burial, and all of those things. But they were all just symbols and parables because they didn't have the spirit of God. So God could not reveal the things to them in a normal way they will not understand so you have to use the things that they would use to understand so once you begin to understand the 
New Testament, you might not understand the Old Testament. Because look at the book of Joel 2, where Joel was saying that in the last days, I was prophesying that in the last days, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. Your your young ones will dream dreams, your old ones will, your, your, your old ones will dream dreams, your young ones will see visions, and all of that. Now, in the book of Acts 2, when Peter was now preaching to um people he now told them that this was the same thing that the prophet joel said the other time when people were saying that they were drunk with wine and all so peter now said no we are not drunk this was the same thing that the prophet was saying then in the book of joel so that was in the last days i'll pour my spirit upon all flesh so this is the pouring of the spirit upon all flesh so when joel was talking that time he was prophetically he was prophesying into the future he was seeing the future he wasn't talking about the present so the Bible, the whole of the Bible talks about the one and self same person, which is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior and Mediator. So um, I, I just want you to begin to um, engage God this moment, just begin to talk to the spirit of God, allow him to talk to you, allow him to breathe on you, allow him to, you know, fellowship with him, have a sweet fellowship with him. Can you just begin to talk to him? Can you just begin to talk to him this moment? Father, we give you all the praise. We pray that you reveal yourself more to us. Do not doubt the voice of the Lord. He's the one speaking to you right there. Yes, that it looks like it's your mind. No, but it's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God. Just note it down. Note it down. You see the manifestation of what He has just told you in the name of Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for today's teaching. We thank you for how far you have helped us. We thank you for opening our eyes to this truth. We pray that you help us to remain in fellowship with you in the name of Jesus and you bless our hearts in the name of Jesus. Thank you, blessed Redeemer. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So I want to thank you all for listening in and fellowshipping together with me today. I pray that God bless you in the name of Jesus. So next week we're going to talk about how to hear from God effectual prayer. So don't, don't forget to tune in. Same time, Saturday, 6 p.m. God bless you. Father, we worship you, Father, we give you all the praise, Lord. We worship you, we worship you. I am a Worship you, oh, worship you. We bow down and worship you. Subakati Iabana. We bow down and worship you. Learn worship you, oh worship you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that as we go right into your word, we pray that your word would give us understanding in the name of Jesus. We pray that it will open our hearts and it will transform our lives in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah.
oh good evening everybody yeah welcome again to today's teaching today's meeting how i was the how was the week and how has been your day too i hope your week was blessed i hope you went into your week with the understanding of god's word and you know they allow challenges to drift you away from who you are yeah, so last week we talked about we talked about grace. Yeah, last week last week teaching, you know, the devil tried and he couldn't get us. So we discussed the life of Christ, my life. We discussed how that the life of Christ is our life. How that the life that we have now received is the life of Christ and the way to live the life of Christ is to live by the Spirit because the Spirit was given to us at salvation. The Spirit is the proof that God is with us. The Spirit is the proof that God lives in us. So, and the way to please God is to live by the Spirit. So, and we cannot even do anything to God and all for God except by the Spirit. So, the Spirit is just access to God, really. It's just... It's just who we have to locate God. So today we're going to be talking about effectual prayer out to hear from God. Yeah. So if you have been following the teachings, you see that they are they are they are sort of sequential, right? So before now we talked about sin, the nature of Adam. We talked about righteousness through faith. Then we talked about good works. Then we talked about grace. Then the life of Christ, my life. Then now we're talking about effectual prayer out to hear from God. So you know that you have the Spirit of God inside of you, right? And so you want to um, utilize that Spirit. The way to utilize the Spirit of God is by praying, right? So want to understand what it means to pray effectually, to pray effective rather to pray effective you know the bible says in the book of in the book of james that the fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much and it is what dynamic in its workings so that's five james five from verses um 15 it says such a prayer offered in faith we heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So, the earnest prayer of a righteous person is said to have power and produce wonderful results. So we want to know how to, you know, produce wonderful results. We want to know how to utilize the power that we have since we are righteous, right? We know that we are righteous through faith. Yeah, so, you know, there is this um, song that we used to sing growing up. I'm sure that most of us will be used to it. As read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. 
So, you know, we sing that song a lot. We sing that song a whole lot. Or we used to sing that song a whole lot growing up. However, it wasn't really a reality in that sense. Okay, let me explain what I mean by this. You know, we sing the song of read your Bible prayer every day. And then some of us had issues with praying because we saw prayer as being... um stressful or not really enjoyable you didn't even really know how to but you just know that this was the way they used to do it and you just want to do it because you want to grow yeah because we were you know really really concerned about growth we really really wanted to grow we really wanted to know god so we tried to pray yeah so we, we tried to pray we tried to learn to pray although it wasn't enjoyable for us now, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not canal, but mighty to the pulling down of strong gods. So, we know that we fight battles in the place of prayers and all. However, is this the reason why we should pray? However, is that even effective prayer, right? Is that effectual prayer? And what's even our understanding of battles in the place of prayer? Now, we didn't really used to feel prayer or let me say i did not used to really feel prayer then it's either tiring or stressful or not yielding desired results so it's just like okay the access to pray let us pray i remember then there was the rule of you must close your eyes to pray and i didn't like closing my eyes at all like i don't really like closing my eyes for anything it just gets me unnecessarily distracted, unnecessarily anxious and stuff. So, I just didn't need to close my eyes. So, I remember as a teenager, I didn't close my eyes. And my pastor corrects me almost every time to the point that he had to call me out in church and say that it was going to suspend me the next time he finds out that I opened my eyes in church during prayers. And... What I used to do then was I close my eyes. No, yeah, I open my eyes. Once I see that it wants to look towards my direction, I close my eyes because I don't even have the strength. Where yeah, and <laughs> it was really really quite funny. I had the CAC background. I, I attended Christ Apostolic Church while I was a a child. So then it was even vicious, you know, we usually have revivals and all of these things. So you ask you to close your eyes. So, you know, demons, you know, enter you and all of that. And um, my eyes are wide open. My mom sent ushers to come and tell me to close my eyes. No, I'm just still opening my eyes. In fact, it was one of the reasons why my mom concluded that I was probably a witch or something. So, you know, all of these things made prayer tiring and difficult for me, really, because I felt like the rules were just too much. They were postures you need to, you need to, you know, take to pray. There were so many. I'm like, oh God, all these things are not really like I in my mind. I would ask, are these things really necessary? So, but then now let me just ask you. You answer this. It's of course it's a rhetorical question that you should keep asking yourself, and you can answer after you listen to this. And I'm even sure that by the time you are, we are done with today's meeting, you get enough answers, enough like more than enough. So how do you pray? How do you pray? Take time to evaluate how you pray and why you pray. You know, I I took um 
a, a personal development class lately and one of the things that kept coming from every of the speakers from every of the facilitators is the big why the why and the how yeah so it's the vision and the goal right so what what motivates you to pray why do you pray why must you pray do you pray because if you do not pray do you pray because you are a christian and a christian should pray yeah do you pray because so that when you are preaching or ministering in church you can be able to you know you will not lie like when you are teaching people to pray do you pray because you are you are a teacher in in the church do you pray because you're you're maybe your sunday school teacher or your pastor can ask you when was the last time you prayed and all of that and you don't want to just say you have not prayed right are these the reasons why you pray why do you pray and how do you pray we really need to get these things right we really need to know why we do the things that we do you know when when some years back i i sat down and i told myself that i need to have a reason a strong why for everything that i do now if you do not know why you do the things you do you will not do them effectively so that's the reason why there has to be a why once there's a why it makes you do you because you do you now start doing what you are doing out of understanding you are not doing it because you are, you are doing it because you are sure of the reason why yeah so if your why is wrong or not strong enough then your how is going to be faulty so once your vision is not plain like 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 the bible says that write the vision make it plain once your vision is not plain your why is not strong your why is not clear your why is not direct you know it's going to affect your how it's going to affect the the way you do it it's going to affect the goals it's going to affect in turn affect your results so if you do not understand why you should pray if you don't even understand why there's prayer then you would not pray effectively that's just the simple truth because prayer is supposed to be enjoyable and not endurable you are supposed to enjoy it and not endure it yeah i know that you would say okay there's a place of sacrifice there's a place of you know um yeah sacrifice yes even at the point of sacrificing to pray and you know maybe for long hours and all of that it is not that you're enduring it is that you are enjoying it not that it suits your body but that it suits your soul and it suits your spirit of course it only suits your spirit but it has to suit your soul so you have to understand why you pray why do you pray are you praying because you are scared that anybody can just ask you anytime. Anybody can just ask you anytime. The last time you prayed and you don't want to, you know. These are no reasons enough. So you should always be glad. You should be always glad to fellowship with God. You should always be glad to talk to God. You should always be glad to, you know, hear from Him. You should always be glad to commune with Him. Like David said in the Bible, says, I was glad. When they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So, it shows it shows that 
he enjoys the presence of God. It shows that the presence of God makes him glad. Apart from the fact that he knows that he will be blessed. He enjoys it personally. So it's the same way that you are a friend is coming around. A friend calls that she's coming around to see you or something. Or he's coming around to see you. I am so excited because you know there will be so much fun. Right? So that's the same way that you should be excited when it's time for prayer because you know that you are communing with your father, with your heavenly father, and you want to talk to him and he wants to talk to you. So what is prayer? What is prayer? We've talked about, we've just done a basic introduction, but we've not really discussed what is prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is communion, fellowship, and communication with the father through the son praise god so prayer is when you communicate when you fellowship when you have communion with the father through the son now you might want to ask the question of why through the son now i want to ask the question of why through the son the bible makes us understand that when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6. So Jesus is the one that gives us access to the Father. So prayer is fellowship with God. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is communication with God. Now I, I have noticed that most 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 time I think the reason why people have issues praying the right way, communicating and communing with God is because probably they because they cannot see God. Yes, yeah, so once they can't see the person, once it's not physical, right, they just lose touch. The same excitement we carry when we are with people that we love physically that's the same excitement we should have always because we know that the spirit of god lives in us and if his spirit lives in us he is the proof that god lives in us so communication in that we talk to god and he talks back to us by the spirit that he has given to us you know last week i explained in details how the son which is jesus came to die for us so that we can have access to the Father. Let's open our Bible to the book of John 3 verse 16. John 3 16. John 3 16. I know it's a verse that we are familiar with already, but let's still read. Anytime the, the scriptures, is, we are asked to read scriptures, let's see that we open it and read for ourselves. So John 3 16 says, For God so loved the world that so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, will not perish, but have eternal life. So God loved us so much, and he gave his son to come and die, to come and lay down his life, such that through him we will not have but eternal life. Even 17 says, God sent his word, his, his son, into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world. So, 
Christ came to do the work of salvation such that we can have access to the Father. John 14, 6. Let's open to John 14, 6. It says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So the Bible says that what? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can assess God except through Jesus. So if you are still yet to believe in the dead, burial, and resurrection of Christ, or wrong men, like or wrong men, although it's not too late, but then this is the right time. This is just the best time for you to believe that Christ came to die, he was buried, and he rose for your justification. What this means is that you had the nature of sin. That is, you didn't have the ability to please God. But Christ now came to come and give you that ability. Eh? He now came to come and give you, you know, his spirit that will allow you to assess God at any time and every time. Right? So his death brought to us access by the spirit is the way, the truth, and the life. So you might be wondering why everything about God revolves around salvation. Yeah, it seems like everything, for every topic we have discussed, we have always related it to salvation. And you might be looking like, okay, is it that Florence doesn't know what else to preach, that she's always talking about salvation, or everything about God just revolves around salvation? This is because salvation is God's plan to redeem man, right? So everything that that connects god and man together revolves around salvation because that's the major plan through which god reached out to man to redeem man so salvation is the way through which god got us back to himself like he brought us back to his um you know to his um kingdom to his um light to his to his own world in that sense so Initially, when God created all that he created, man, man is the only one. Okay, initially, when God created man, he did this for fellowship. So the reason why God created man initially, in the first instance, is for fellowship, is for prayer. Let me use the word prayer, is for prayer. Is that so that he can come and talk to man and he can talk back to man? How do I know this? Because man was the only one that was created in the image of God. Although now, okay, let, let's use this example. Although you have pets, maybe dogs, cats, and all of this, rabbits and stuff. Although you have pets, the relationship you have with your pets is different from the relationship we have you have with your family, with your mother, with your father, with your son, with your sister your brother your parents and all of that is quite different because your pet is not in your image it doesn't reason like you in fact your pet cannot relate to the fact that you had an ethic day can't relate to the fact that you you were you were stuck in traffic you can't call on your pet maybe you're in, in in an emergency or something just happened your pet cannot stand in for you when you are in trouble and all of that so your pet doesn't earn money. So all of these things, it just makes it all different. So when you are even related with your pet, there is a level of relationship and stuff. And that's why scientists call humans higher animals, right? So 
the reason why God created us in his image is such that he can relate with us. He, for example, God doesn't talk to animals. He doesn't talk to all of those folks. Yeah, he talks to us because we're in his image. We have, we have higher, what's it called now? We are, we are more sensible. We are more intelligent, right? So he created us in his image and he did this to give us authority and power over the earth. So let's, let's read the Bible. From Genesis 1, verse 27 to 29. Genesis 1, 27 to 29. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. Praise God. Praise God. So this place makes us understand that God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them, right? So we are created in the image of God so that we can have fellowship with God and in turn govern every other thing that is on the surface of the earth. So he made us king, he made us lord over everything on the earth, right? He gave us authority, he asked us to fill the earth, govern it. However... Man lost this authority to sin. You know, that's what the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now that whole, that whole, isn't talking about you that you have now believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So it was talking about you that did not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because the all simply means that through birth, through Adam, you inherited sin. And sin is simply separation from God. So God created us to be in fellowship with him, but sin is what separation. So sin bridged the gap between God and man. Like, And that sin was just disobedience, yes? Yeah? So Adam and his wife, they disobeyed God and stopped. So it brought about separation between them and God. Like They had to go and hide them, their face. Let's open to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8. Okay, let's read from verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sealed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they eat from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, 
Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as you live. So praise God. Praise God. Now from here, we see how that if God didn't used to come to talk to them in the cool of the day, that day wasn't, he wasn't going to show up, right? So it meant that that was his, that was his culture. That was what he was doing with them. He would come to check on them. He would come to talk with them. He would come to, you know, relate with them and stuff. And so after they ate the, um, the fruit and stuff, their, their eyes became open. They realized that they were naked. Immediately they hid from God. That was what sin did. It brought about separation. Before, they were before God unashamed. They didn't even know anything. They didn't know anything about themselves. They were just before God, enjoying God. But immediately sin stepped in. It drew them away. Right? After now, after after all of this now happened on the surface of the earth, the devil now began to take charge of the earth because you know he, he we sin brought about evil, the church of evil and good and all, you know, the tree and all and all of those things. So Man sort of lost his authority to the devil and devil began to govern. So this wasn't God's initial plan. And so he began to raise men that will stand for him and be an intermediary between him and his people. But they were always failing because they were not perfect. So because God really wanted men to live um, according to his standard, he really wanted people to, you know, be in charge, be in authority, govern the earth like he has commanded in Genesis 1.28. So he kept on raising men, he kept on sending people, he kept on empowering people to lead the people to do the will, to do his will. So from the days of Abraham, no, from the, from the time of um, Noah, to the time of Abraham, to the time of Moses, to the time of um, Joshua, and um, all of those people then when he started joseph then when he started raising david started raising solomon and all of those people so god kept on raising people raising people time after time although these people they could not really stand in gap for what god wanted because they were not perfect they had that sinful nature Although they were trying to please God, they did have the uh, the spirit of God in them. So they had the sinful nature. So it wasn't even really easy for them. And that's why you see that they made a lot of, even they themselves, they made a lot of mistakes and they committed errors. However, what just kept them was the fact that they had faith that the son of God was going to come to die for the sins of the world. So this was the reason why Jesus which is the Lamb of God, came to shed his blood so that the right spirit, which is his spirit, can now be in us. Allowing us to now talk to God all by ourselves without a high priest. So, the reason why Christ now came was that, okay, 
since Christ doesn't have the nature of sin, since Christ is perfect, since Christ has the right spirit in him, so let him just come, die for our sins, break that barrier, pay the wages of our sin, which is death, and, you know, conquer death, grave, stink, and all of those things, then give us authority and power. And the Bible says in the book of John 1, it says that as many that believed in his name, to them gave E power to become sons of God. So he has to do with power and authority because we lost authority, we lost power. So Christ came to redeem that power. So we're going to be considering the two types of prayers, like not types possible. Prayers in the Old Testament and prayers in the New Testament. We want to know how they prayed then and why they prayed the way they used to pray and how you should now pray. So prayers in the Old Testament. Now, looking at scriptures, prayers in the Old Testament, it wasn't a direct access. So there was the altar setting. The, there was the holies, then the holies of holies, right? So the, the, the high priests were the ones that had access to go into the holies of holies first to atone for the sins of everybody using sacrifice. Shedding the blood of lamb, bullock, um, bulls, ram, and all of those things. Then, also, they will now make requests. They will now intercede. They will now say, okay, oh, what is the Lord saying? Even the prophets, the kings, they didn't have access to the holies of holies. It was only the high priest. Any prophet that tried to you know go towards that place was going to just be struck by the um power of god and everything so it was the old um the the high priest and which were the levites they were they were the children of aaron from the household of um aaron and also they were the ones that had access to that place and if the high priest himself didn't do it the right way if he was full of sin and all he was going to die there so they usually tie um, a long chain round their ankle so once they go inside that long chain is in their ankle so they already know the number of hours and stuff that they use there so once it's already past the time and all they try to drag them out drag them out so they drag them out from f far away or far away so they try to drag them out using the chain so once they are dragging them and it seems like they are heavy and stuff they know that they are dead already the presence of God already killed them because of their sin. So people did not even have direct access. They didn't have direct contact. They could not even talk to God. And that was why I didn't blame the children of Israel. When Moses was taking them through the forest, um, when they were, you know, going through the going through the promised land after leaving Egypt. I didn't blame them because this person we are talking about, they could not talk to the person. You are the only one that can talk to the person. So this time you are coming, you are telling us this. We did it. It didn't really, really work the way we wanted it to work. We'll be anxious. See, we can't really blame them because they didn't have the spirit of God. They didn't have the knowing of God. Their head doesn't really work well because, see, we know that, okay, yes, this minute God has done it for them and everything. They will rejoice. And the next minute they've forgotten about it because they are already looking at their present troubles their present challenges and that's the best way they can live because they had the sinful nature they didn't have the ability to think like god so and they will go and cry and meet the only person that can talk to god 
Better talk to this your God though, because we, we do not understand. We cannot talk to someone we cannot talk to, someone we cannot see, someone we cannot feel. We shall know that he's there, right? So they didn't have a they didn't have contact with God. They didn't have understanding. They didn't have relationship with God. They didn't, they didn't even know who God was. They just knew that He is the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of that. So they didn't know Him. They didn't know Him. Although they had different names for Him according to the names that their fathers has given Him. It was their fathers that had experiences with God. They themselves did not have experiences with God. And that's why the Samaritan woman was asking Jesus in John for that. She said, she, she says something. She says that you people believe that worship should be done in Jerusalem. Why we believe that worship should be done in Mount Sinai, where our forefathers worshipped. So she believed so much in God because of her forefathers. It wasn't because she knew God. It was because of the experience of her forefathers. So they just tried to trust God based on the experience of their priests the experience of their prophets and their ancestors they didn't know god they could not talk to him they could not pray to him they there was nothing like in jesus name then right so there was no how they could talk to god so let's open our bibles the book of hebrews 5 hebrews 5 hebrews chapter 5 Bruce chapter 5. So, from verse 1, it says, Even I, priest, is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins, and is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for his work, for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, You are my son and today I have become your father. Right? Can you see an idea of what the high priest does? He offers sacrifices for his own sins and for the sins of the people because even he himself is subjected to those weaknesses, right? So, these people could not talk to God by themselves. Let's open to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23. Verse 23. What does it say? It says, There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. So praise God, praise God. So all these priests, they were, they were according to the law and they would die. Yeah. So after they die again, they need to appoint another high priest. Once the priest is not appointed, that means the people are, they have turned away from God for that moment. They are off. Like there is no communion. There is no fellowship. There is nothing, right? There is nothing because the people themselves, they can't talk to God all by themselves because they don't have access to God. They could not behold God. They could not behold God by themselves. So, you know, that's like most times I don't blame the children of Israel because they didn't have wisdom. They didn't know God. They didn't have access to God by themselves and everything. And that was why when when um Moses was at, was at Mount Sinai, that he was busy having encounter with God, receiving ten commandments that I was going to bring to these people. My dearly beloved people, they already started worshipping idols they already started you know 
um, worshipping um, jewelry, gold, and all of these things. You see that in the book of Exodus um, 19, 19.20. You see that there. So, they already turned away their face from God because the person that is leading them to God is not there. So, what will they do? Will they just be looking? And God has created a desire in man to always worship something, to always serve something. That is why you see that it is not possible for you to just be there and not be worshipping anything. It's a lie. You might say that you're not going to church, you're not going to this, you're not going to that. It's a lie. There is something that you so much adore and you worship, like you devote your time to, you you honor, you reverence. That's just the way it is. So there is just that desire in man to always reverence and honor. So that's the idea of um, prayers in the Old Testament. We can see God God spoke to the prophet when he needed to pass an information across. Then he had to, he had to, they had to believe the prophet because they could not hear for themselves. And this caused a lot of rifts between these people and the prophet. So that's the reasons why that's that, that's one of the reasons why they only had had issues with the prophet because it's true. We don't know if what he's saying is true. We just believe because we know that he's the God of our ancestors. So now going to prayers in the New Testament. What does the New Testament teach us about prayer? How do we pray in the New Testament? So well, we're still going to go back to that book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews that talks about that Jesus is our own high priest. I think that's Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7 verse um, 23. Yes, yeah, so but Jesus lives forever. His priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice of the people's sin. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weaknesses. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. So Jesus is our high priest. He came to pay the price for us once and for all like he laid his life for us once and for all such that there is no need to do any sacrifice again yeah so once you just believe in the dead burial and resurrection of christ you you like that's just it no more sacrifice no more shedding of blood no more atonement and all of those things no because you are already recognized with christ by his spirit that is now indwelling of you the book of romans 8 9 talks about the indwelling of the spirit so that spirit of God that now comes indwelling of us by the reason of believing in the prayer resolution is what now gives us access to prayer. So that is why you can now say, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you because you are the God of all flesh. I thank you because you have kept me. I thank you because you are a faithful God. I thank you because you are a good God. So because of that spirit that is in you, that is why you can now open your mouth and say, in Jesus' name. And it to be acceptable. Yeah, so many people were, so many people open their mouth and say, Jesus name well. But then there is no even, it's not going anywhere. That's just the truth. But because you, you have the spirit of God. When you say in Jesus name, it works. It works. 
So the Old Testament folks could not pray by themselves because they lacked the indwelling. However, we we have the indwelling of the Spirit. And so we can pray by the word, by the Spirit. Paul writes in the book of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I will pray in the Spirit and I will pray in understanding also. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans 8, 26. Oh, Father Banda, we will pray, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray, we will pray, we will pray, we will pray, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. So it says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example. We do not know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Praise God. Praise God. So, the New Testament believer prays by the Spirit that is within him. Praise in the name of Jesus. Praise because he has access to God. So he cannot talk to God and God will talk back to him. He cannot fellowship with God. He cannot hear God for himself. He cannot get directed visions and revelations. He can hear God speak to him literally without an high priest, without a prophet without anybody because he has now been made a prophet he has now been ordained a prophet he has now been ordained a pastor he has now been ordained a minister so he can minister to himself and also to others so how do we pray how do we pray we pray in the name of jesus by the spirit indwelling of us see everything we do in this kingdom is by the spirit of god by jesus by the spirit of god so if there is anything you are doing in the kingdom of god and is outside the name of jesus and the spirit of god then it is wrong there is nothing 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 you want to do in this kingdom there are principles that govern it and it has to be done by god's spirit in the name of jesus so let's open our bibles to the book of John chapter 14 verse 12 to 14 where Jesus was talking about him being the access to the father him being the holy access to the father so John 14 verse 12 to 14 I tell you the truth anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the father you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Praise God. Praise the living Jesus. So this, this is Jesus saying that what? Ask for anything in my name. So when Jesus even gave the disciples the, the great commission he said that they should go into the world by baptizing people in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit so ask in the name of jesus pray in the name of jesus because that's the name that we have been given above every other name it says in the name of jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that what jesus is lord 
And so to pray in the name of Jesus is to pray in spirit because the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God is the spirit of Jesus. Like we already know in John 14, 17, let's read. John 14, 17 says, He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So he lives with you now. The person that was living with them now was Jesus. And he says what? He will later be in them. So the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of God. Is the Holy Spirit that is right inside of us. However, praying by the name of Jesus is not the only way we can pray in spirit. Yes, it's not the only way we can pray in spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 verses 2. Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians 14 2. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 2. So it says, For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you, you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. So, Paul makes us understand that to pray, to speak in tongues, is to pray in the power of the Spirit. Right, so I've noticed that some people have issues with praying in tongues because they feel like they are not worthy enough, they feel like they are not holy enough, or they feel like they've not received that gift or that calling or that ability to pray in tongues. So let me just tell you that your righteousness is that of Christ, and the spirit he gives you gives you access to all the giftings of the spirit, of which tongues is inclusive. So, whatever you receive in the kingdom of God is not as a result of your works. It's as a result of grace. Grace. The grace of God. The grace of God. So, the same thing with tongues. The Bible makes us understand that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Let's open to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3. Ephesians 1 3. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Praise God. So it makes us understand that we have we have all spiritual blessings. We have all spiritual gifts. And if we read through the Bible in the book of 1 Corinthians 12, we'll see all of those spiritual gifts there. We'll see that the Spirit of God that is inside of us that gives the spiritual gifts. So, so also tongues is made available to you, is within you already because the spirit is within you. It's just like you bought a a, 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 a Coke, a Coke, but a bottle of Coke, right? So the, the, the Coke content inside is just because you are the owner of the plastic, yeah? So that's the same way. You ask the spirit of God, the same way, the content that is inside the spirit of God, you have access to it. However, you have to have knowledge that you have access to it. So why do we pray in tongues? Why do we pray in tongues? Because the Bible makes us understanding that, understand that we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So Jude one twenty again. Let's let's check. Let's check another another place in the Bible that talks about praying in the Spirit. Jude one twenty says, "But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith." Praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. 
So Jude, Jude says here that you must build yourself up on your most holy faith. Doing what? Praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. So number one is that he helps you to pray in accordance with God's will. Like we already saw in Romans 8, 26, we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, and this is done in alignment with the will of God. So the way to pray the perfect will of God is to pray by the Spirit because it's the, only, it's the Spirit alone that knows the will of God. It's the Spirit alone that can communicate the will of God. Number two is that it helps you focus. See, many a times when you are praying in understanding, that means when you are praying in your normal language and all, you're, you're just distracted, your mind is just, you know, moving all around, you're thinking of different things. And in fact, about praying in accordance with God's will, you know, the Bible the Bible tells us in the book of James that the reasons why you pray and it seems like you do not get answers for your prayers is because you pray amiss. That is, you are praying the things you are not supposed to pray about, Yeah. You are praying what you are not supposed to talk to God about. Probably you are supposed to be asking God for wisdom and all. You are asking God for money. And God is like, this person is not even smart at all. Right? So, that's the reason why we have to pray in the spirit. Such that our our um, prayers can be aligned with God's will. In fact, sometimes it might be that at that point, someone is in danger. You are supposed to be interceding for that person. And you are probably praying for your own spiritual growth. If you are praying in tongues, your prayers will be directed towards intercession. Even without you knowing. Then to focus, he helps you focus. Many times when we pray, when we are praying, you understand. We even run out of what to say. Say, for example, you want to pray for long hours, like three, four, five hours, and you are praying, you understand. You will lose focus, you will lose strength, you will lose motivation. But when you are praying in tongues and you are praying five hours, oh God, you are energized to do more. Like you just want to do more. You just want to pray more. You just want to pray some more. You realize that, wow, you can do 10 hours, you can do 12 hours. You can. I, I remember that first time I did long, long hours prayers, like 24 hours. It was in tongues all through. Did 12 hours, did 10 hours, 12, like that, like that. You keep building up yourself. And the last thing is that it builds up your faith, which is Jude 120, which you already read. And you, beloved, build up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. It builds up your faith. It builds up your faith. It helps you to grow. It helps you to grow. It helps you to grow. Now, prayer is never effective if there is no response from God. And now, when I mean response, I don't mean manifestations. And that will take us to the text for today's teaching, which is the book of First John, chapter 5. First John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verses 14. It says, And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know that he hears us, listen, we are confident that what he hears us, number one, that first notifies the, the part that makes you feel like when you are praying, maybe God is not hearing you or God is not there or something. No, he hears he hears you at all times when you talk. He hears you. And since we know that he hears us, we make our request. We also know that he will give us what we ask for. King James puts it that, and since he hears us, he would what? He would answer us. So, the way we have tuned our mind for answers to mean manifestation. For example, we are praying to God for, for healing, yeah. 
let's say healing now you know the book of james there was saying that if any one of you is sick let him go to the elders of the church and they will pray for him yeah so it says that from james 5 13 says are any of you suffering hardship you should pray are any of you happy you should sing praises are any of you sick you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray for you anointing you with oil in the name of the lord such a prayer of fad in faith will heal the sick and the lord will make you well and if you have committed any sins you will be forgiven confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed praise god so if you are trusting god for healing and you are praying to god for healing probably at that point god just needs to give you an instruction that will lead to your healing and what you are busy waiting for is that you just get healed so god is communicating the instruction to you but you're not paying your attention to listen to what he has to say you're you're fine-tuning your mind to to mean that to make answer mean that manifestation so answer doesn't translate to manifestation that way it means that he is saying something he is talking to you and that is what prayer is that you talk to god and he talks back to you so you're talking to god about a particular situation and he's telling you that this is the reason why this is happening and this is when it will last for and this is what will happen after and this is how you should handle it and how does he do this he does this by the spirit the spirit is the only one that we have to access god so he does it by the spirit so as a man you you your spirit has been made perfect by salvation because the spirit of god comes in dwelling your spirit so you have just one spirit your spirit is one with god so you have just one spirit then you have your soul and your body now your soul is the seat of knowledge thoughts intelligence and all of these things so remember that before you got saved you had too many things in there you had too many worldly stuff so many ungodly things that were there you know evil stuff and all so it's not that when your spirit now becomes perfect your soul becomes perfect no there has to be a gradual renewal and that's why paul says in the book of romans 12 verse 2 romans 12 verses 2 let's read let's read let's read what paul says there romans 12 verses 2 it says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let god transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know god's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect so don't copy the way of this world but let god transform you by renewing the way you think by transforming the way you think so you have to intentionally allow god to change the way you think you have to intentionally allow god to work on your mind and you yourself you have to even intentionally feed on the right things like god's word and and godly teachings and all so you have to really guard your heart so so that when you are in the place of prayer you are talking to god you can pay attention to your mind which is your soul that receives information from your spirit so when you pray this is what happens whatever you are communicating to god you know the bible makes us understand that god sees the heart of every man the Bible says God looks at the heart and not the outward, right? So he looks at the inward man. He looks at the, the heart. So that's the way you are praying, God. God hears your heart cry. He hears your mind. That's the same way. He will relate the information he wants to tell you to your mind. 
So you might necessarily not hear the audible voice of God like the way you are hearing my voice because it speaks to you through your mind. So you need to be very attentive and focused while praying. Like really, really attentive and focused. And one of the ways to help yourself to be attentive and focused is to also pray in the Holy Ghost, to pray in the Spirit. If you don't pray in the Spirit yet, you can just um, you can just close your eyes now and say these confessions with me. I have the Spirit of God inside of me. I have the gift of tongues and I will pray in tongues. I know that utterance is being made available for me. I know that it is it is not a function of who I am, but it is a function of what I have received in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to utilize the gift of the Spirit that is right inside of me. So I'll just pray in tongues now. And as I pray in tongues, utterance will drop. So I want you to just yield and begin to pray in tongues to a boldness. Shabaranamako teleberanamako sa ezukebako teleboroko tubukutina baha ekopaya baranamako sa. So just speak it forth with boldness. Just speak it forth with boldness. Lebaranamako sa. You're not going to feel any force push you. You're not going to feel anything push you because the Holy Spirit is not a force. So he just needs you to speak it forth. Yes, just speak that nonsense. Yes, it sounds like nonsense to you, right? But you just have to speak it because that is tongues. That is tongues. Just speak it just speak it in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus thank you jesus thank you jesus glory to god so that's it you already prayed with tongues that's it so when you now pray in tongues now more often make sure you do this more often at least for 10 minutes daily or you can even do it for more than 10 minutes but 10 minutes daily then with time you grow yourself in it so when you pray in tongues you make sure that your mind is focused whatever drops in your mind that period of prayer note it down that's the way i started note it down write these things down write those things down if it's an instruction write it down if it's a word of encouragement write it down if it's a revelation a prophecy or something write it down such that when the manifestation of those things come you can trace it back to the fact that you heard god so most times people hear god but when the manifestation comes, they don't remember they don't remember that they actually heard God before it came into manifestation, right? So probably God told them something a long time ago and now it's happening. They might not even really remember because they didn't write it down, they didn't note it down. So when you write this thing down, you see the manifestation, it keeps confirming to you that okay, this is God speaking, this is God speaking, and by the time you keep giving yourself to, to the study of God's word, you keep recognizing vo- God's voice, you keep identifying God's voice and God's instruction. And lastly, God will not tell you anything that is against his will, that is against his written word. So he has to be in alignment with the word of God. He has to be in alignment, in sync with the word of God. So can we just worship God and thank God for today's teaching? Father, we give you all the praise. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you for how how you have blessed us. We thank you for how you have taught us to pray. And we pray that we put these things to work in the name of Jesus. We pray that we are not lazy. We pray that we are not tired. We pray that we, we give ourselves to prayers in the name of Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to today's teaching. I'm sure that you were blessed. So see you next week, the same time. And if you want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me through my number, through WhatsApp, 090 or Instagram at Florence to you, F-L-O-R-E-N-C-E-T-Y. Hi. So you can just check me out and we can have time to talk about God's word if you have anything that you're not clear about. So, bye.